0: Listener Production. Hello, Sasha Barbagat with you. Welcome to the briefing. We all remember the phrase stop the boats. When Tony Abbott's government enacted the Operation Sovereign Borders policy, which included offshore processing and turnbacks of asylum seeker vessels. Despite proving extremely controversial, the UK is trying to copy the policy. The Conservative government headed by Rishi Sunak is currently trying to stop its boats by sending those people to a third-party country, Rwanda but they're having trouble getting the plan okayed by Parliament and the courts.
1: Of course, the geography is really quite different. The distance that people in boats coming down from Indonesia or wherever down to Australia and the possibilities for turning those boats back, processing asylum seekers a long, long way from Australia is very, very different from that 22 miles across the Channel
0: In the second half of today's episode, we find out just what is going on in the UK. Before that, though, Antoinette Latouf is here with me for the headlines. It is Wednesday, January 31st.
2: G'day, Sasha. Hello, everyone. It is being described as a Christmas flop. If you're wondering what that means, it's our spending over December, dipping by the biggest amount on record for the month. So retail figures were down 2.7% last month. That's according to data from the Bureau of Statistics. It's a sign that cost of living and soaring mortgage repayments have finally had a sizable impact on consumer behaviour. There were bigger dips that were recorded in WA and the ACT, which both saw drops of 3.8%
0: in the final month of the year. It didn't come as a surprise to analyst Antoinette, who had been forecasting a drop to offset the surge we saw in November, of course spurred on by the Black Friday sales. But the November gain has actually been revised down by the ABS from 2.2 percent to 1.6 percent, and that's short of the fall recorded in December. Now, of course, this all sparks talk about cash rate hikes. The RBA is meeting for the first time of the year next week, and. Uh, these results are putting pressure on the Reserve Bank to bring forward planned pauses to the hike. So that's good news for mortgage holders. However, we're not expecting to see cuts until the second half of the year. And I can confirm, Sasha, that I myself was a Christmas flop because this year... (laughs) I
2: spent so much less on Christmas presents. And across the whole family, we did. We decided to revise our secret Santa numbers or just say we won't buy gifts for each other. And it's the first time ever that my family has said, you know what, it's getting really tough to buy presents for this many people. It's hard for everybody to afford it. And um, we either went without presents or gave sort of really small but meaningful presents at Christmas.
0: Mm, And I can... I can. um back that as well. My family has had the discussion where we're going to move to Kris Kringle now because we're like, it is just getting too expensive. The US President says he's decided what response to take after three US soldiers were killed in an airstrike in Jordan this week. Dozens more were injured in the strike near the Syrian border, which Iran-backed militants have claimed responsibility for, but Iran says it was not involved. Joe Biden has not elaborated on what exact action the US will take, but he did say this.
3: I don't think we need a wider war in the Middle East. That's not what I'm looking for.
0: So it is the first
2: time American troops have been killed since the start of the Israel-Hamas war on October 7, and it presents a crucial time for Biden as the November election looms and experts say he can't be seen to be looking weak on the issue, but also that any escalation in conflict in the region is also unpopular. So the continuation of the US-backed attacks in Gaza are also increasingly unpopular. And sticking with Gaza, new aerial analysis shows more than half of Gaza's buildings have been destroyed since Israel launched its attack. The IDF has said it's targeting both Hamas fighters and what it calls terror infrastructure. That's when it's challenged on the Scale of the damage, but questions are also raised about those claims given it includes universities, schools, hospitals, and a lot of residential areas. New Zealand is banning so-called forever chemicals in makeup products. They're also known as PFAS and they could exist in as much as 50% of our cosmetics. So PFAS are sometimes used in nail polish, shaving cream, foundation, lipstick, mascara because they help smooth the skin. They also make products more durable and water resistant. But these chemicals don't easily break down. They
0: can build up in our bodies and some can be toxic at really high levels. From December 31st, 2026, the cosmetic products containing PFAS will be banned from being imported or manufactured in New Zealand. And by the end of 2027, they will no longer be able to be sold or supplied and by 2028, all cosmetics containing PFAS must be disposed of. And here in Australia, the federal government intends to stop the import, manufacture and use of some types of PFAS within two years. Now, if it sounds familiar mm. to any of our listeners, we did, of course, do a big investigation into this here at the briefing, and we found the chemicals in products from Natio specifically. And our investigation did cause Natio to say they would remove PFAS from their products uh, so that was a really great result. And if you would like to hear it, you can search PFAS, that's P-F-A-S in our feed, or you can scroll back to December twenty seven. And Channel 9 has apologised
2: after an image of a female politician was altered to expose her midriff and give her bigger breasts. We already get a pretty rough deal and things like this make it worse and my biggest fear is that it deters women and young girls from entering public life. So that's Animal Justice MP Georgie Purcell and it relates to an image of Georgie Purcell that was shown on Monday night's broadcast and then Purcell herself shared it on social media the next day and she was questioning why she was made to look different
0: than how she appeared in the original photo. Mm, And Victorian Premier Jacinta Allen also spoke out about the use of this image, saying it did concern her.
1: That's no way to represent any woman, uh, let alone a woman who holds a uh, position in public office. And also too, let's think about the message that that sends, particularly to young women.
0: Now, the statement from Nine's news director in Melbourne uh, blamed it on a resizing error in Photoshop that uses AI and that he sincerely apologises.
2: Yeah, but interestingly, then on Tuesday afternoon, Adobe, which is the creator of Photoshop, came out and was like, yeah, any changes made to the image would have had to require human intervention and approval. And so we can't really blame AI entirely for this. So then Nine came back out and said, oh, okay, yes, there was human intervention in the decision to use the image, but said no instructions had been given on the tone. Of the picture. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, look, either way, whether it was human error or whether it was genuinely just something that happened in Photoshop and no one noticed, uh, it is concerning, I think, for me as a woman to think about how images of myself could be altered by AI. It is so easy these days. I don't know if you saw the images of, and this is a little bit different, but the opera house on fire and it looked so real mm. and it was an AI image, obviously. Uh, thankfully the opera house has not gone up in flames. <laughs> um, but yeah, it does. It, it makes me concerned for myself and other women who are in public public facing roles who yeah. could have this happen to them. And it's it's not hard. AI is really easily accessible. You only have to have a little bit of know-how to know how to alter an image to make it look the way you want to. So I'm really glad to hear that the Premier of Victoria has spoken out against this and that Nine has apologised. Yeah, look, I think it's all pretty gross. I don't know whether I
2: buy their justification. I'm yet to see a male politician with his body parts altered to send certain signals or messages about their character. I think it's pretty gross, particularly at a time when we n- know that we need more women in politics. To the Premier's point, this will detract or this will definitely discourage people from entering and going, okay, well, it doesn't really matter what I say, what my views of policies are. There are all these other things that are going to be weaponized to try and discourage me from having a role in public life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's just another kind of red flag, I think, with AI on the march forward. And Internet- Thank you so much for joining us for the headlines today. Next up is our deep dive on the UK's Stop the Boats policy.
3: Right now, Australian taxpayers are spending $350 million a year on an empty detention centre on the tiny island nation of Nauru, northeast of Australia. That centre used to imprison asylum seekers, that is, people fleeing violence and persecution and looking for safety in Australia indefinitely. The Albanese government is keeping the detention centre open in case more asylum seekers ever need to be detained there and continuing the so-called Operation Sovereign Borders. The policy has proven extremely controversial, although it has stopped asylum seekers arriving on unsafe boats there and people drowning in the attempt. But there's been reports of child suicide, rape and assault in Nauru's detention centre. The policy has been criticised by human rights bodies, the United Nations, other governments, NGOs and medical groups. And last month, Australia's High Court ruled that indefinite detention is illegal. But the idea of offshore processing has proven attractive to conservatives in the UK. In 2020, the UK government floated trying to establish detention centres in Rwanda. The current Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, is still trying to get a deal up and running and is running into some roadblocks. To explain just what's going on and why the UK wanted to copy one of our most controversial policies is Jill Rutter. She's the Director of Strategy and Relationships at the UK think tank, British Future. Jill, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. So for an Australian audience that's probably not particularly familiar with this issue, can you explain to us what is going on in the UK with its asylum seeker policies?
1: So the UK has been concerned about increasing numbers of asylum seekers and it's been particularly concerned about the number of people coming over in small boats across the English Channel. You know, it's not very far from the south coast of the UK to northern France, coming across in small boats, uh, arriving on the shores of Kent, claiming asylum. And governments, you know, the last three prime ministers, doesn't cover that long a period in the UK, the last three prime ministers, have all committed to introducing policies to try to stop the number of small boat crossings. There's always been a bit of a problem people coming across the channel. They used to come in lorries. We have better controls on that now. So those people have diverted into boats, but it becomes quite visible. And where the weather's good, quite a lot of people come over the channel.
3: It sounds very familiar to an Australian ear. We had the Stop the Boats campaign for quite a while in Australia and the offshore detention policies. Um, Why did the Supreme Court in the UK decide that this policy, deporting asylum seekers to Rwanda from the UK, was unlawful?
1: Well, we've had a number of sort of court decisions about this, but the most recent case that we had was based on the government's assessment that Rwanda was a safe country. So the UK, some countries have been thinking about processing asylum claims, overseas offshoring the processing. The UK wasn't proposing that. The UK was proposing that rather than be allowed to claim asylum in the UK, if you came across on a small boat, you would never be able to claim asylum in the UK and your claim would be processed in Rwanda but if your claim was deemed to be uh, legitimate then you would stay in Rwanda and this was based on the government's view that Rwanda was a safe country a deal it did with a Rwandan government to do this but the Supreme Court said that they thought there was quite a lot of evidence that that was not true that Rwanda was unsafe for some people at least uh, that there had been lots of concerns raised that Rwanda didn't stick to its commitments to keep people who'd been granted asylum in Rwanda and that there had been some bad experiences with the UN with who'd used uh, Rwanda for some refugees. So they said it was unsafe.
3: So why is it, given the controversy around this policy and also the experience in Australia, which has certainly been controversial, why are politicians in the Conservative Party in the UK so keen on this strategy?
1: So I think what they're looking for is a way of deterring people from making the crossing. And what they think is there are a lot of people who they think basically should be staying in the first safe country they arrive in. Um, And they think that, or they think quite a lot of people aren't really fleeing war or persecution, they're actually economic migrants. So what the government's been looking around for is something that will act as a deterrent. And they do look at Australia, they look at the, you know, what they would say would be the success of the Australian policy. And think, well, Australia managed to stop the boats and we should try something similar. And they think if you're sitting in northern France and your option is stay in northern France or go to the UK, you might very well try and get to the UK. You might have family here. You speak English. You think our labour market's relatively unregulated. You're more likely to be able to get a job. But if the alternative is you cross from northern France and you get sent to Rwanda then that will stop you making that crossing. So you clearly aren't being deterred by the prospect of drowning in the channel. Uh, You're willing to take your risk there. And we have had some people in bad where they have been drowned. It's a relatively dangerous crossing, but you're not deterred by that. But they think if the prospect is that you will end up in Rwanda rather than in the UK, then you may think twice about coming across and decide not to come.
3: I've read that there's had to be some changes affecting the Human Rights Act in the UK. Can you explain what happened there?
1: So the government's now got a twin-track approach to try and overturn this Supreme Court judgment. So this Supreme Court judgment came down late last year. So the government's doing two things. It's agreed a new treaty with Rwanda. Uh, rather than the Memorandum of Understanding because judges said the Memorandum of Understanding didn't have any real force. They've given a new treaty where the Rwandans have committed to more safeguards to answer some of the concerns that the Supreme Court had. And the government is also legislating and it's legislating to try and reduce the ability of people uh, in the UK courts to appeal against deportation to Rwanda. So one of the things that this legislation does is say that Rwanda is to be regarded by the UK courts as a safe country and that there can be no objections generally to deporting people to Rwanda. And that's the bill that's gone through the House of Commons and just had uh, its second reading. So the first of its stages in the House of Lords and that bill will be. The government hopes get on the statute book just after Easter or something like that. And then the government is very keen to start some flights taking off. But one of the concerns that the people who think the bill isn't tough enough have is that while you can't make a general claim that Rwanda is an unsafe country, you could make a claim that Rwanda is unsafe for you uh, because of something specific about you. And one of the things that's been noted in the press over here is that uh, while the UK was pursuing this partnership with Rwanda, the UK has actually granted asylum claims from some people from Rwanda who have been saying Rwanda is not a safe place for us to stay. And the UK Home Office has accepted some of those claims.
3: How does the Rwandan government feel about all this?
1: So it's very interesting. The Rwandan government has been quite keen to do these sorts of deals. I think the UK isn't the only government that's been trying to do these deals. Indeed, some of the evidence that the Supreme Court looked at was, I think, from Israel, with whom uh, the Rwandans had done a deal. But as we said, the Rwandans are, I think, getting a bit hacked off about the getting caught up in this never-ending saga in the UK. So far, they've got quite a lot of money from us, but they haven't had any people deported there as they haven't had anyone to process. But at Davos, you know, at this big World Economic Forum a couple of weeks ago, the Rwandans said if the UK wanted to give call off the scheme, then they'd give the money back.
3: So was this a sliding doors moment politically because uh, famously Scott Morrison and Boris Johnson were quite good friends and this was a, a policy that Boris Johnson brought in during his prime ministership that's continued until now. Do you think that had someone else been the UK prime minister or the Australian prime minister at the time, we'd be in a different situation now?
1: Uh, i not sure about that. I think you could definitely say, though, that we've had a government for the last few years, really, since Brexit, where... And lots of policies have the words Australian style appended to them. That is regarded as a big selling point over here of any policy. So we had moments when we were looking at no deal with the EU and Boris Johnson branded that an Australian style deal because Australia doesn't have a trade deal at the moment with the European Union rather than the UK crashing out with no deal. And certainly, there are a lot of influential Australian politicians who seem to have made a second home in London. So Tony Abbott pops up quite a lot. He's uh, very influential. And uh, Alexander Downer, your former foreign minister, is chair of one of the big uh, right-wing think tanks here, policy exchange. And they've both been very vocal, saying the UK should go for this sort of scheme, that it worked for Australia. Of course, the geography is really quite different. The distance that people in boats coming down from Indonesia or wherever down to Australia and the possibilities for turning those boats back, processing asylum seekers a long, long way from Australia. Is very very different from that 22 miles across the channel, and indeed one of the problems is that, sort of that we've debated things like can we turn boats back? You know, we've had moments when our Home Office have been thinking about things like using, you know, getting the Navy to come and intervene and turn boats back to France, or but it's a major, very congested shipping lane. Uh, it's where most of our freight. From the channel comes across the loads of passenger ferries. So it's more like trying to turn back the boats in Sydney Harbour, frankly, than it is like trying to do it coming down between Indonesia and, you know, Broome or wherever. I don't know where the boats were headed. But uh, so it's not really that comparable if you think about the relative geographies of the two areas.
3: That was Jill Rutter, Director of Strategy and Relationships at the UK Think Tank British Future. That's it for the briefing for this morning. Be sure to check your feed for your afternoon briefing at 3. And we're always looking for feedback and suggestions for the show. Search The Briefing Podcast on Instagram, hit follow and send us a DM. I'm Ben Sion Siebert and from all of us at The Briefing, thanks for listening.
0: Listen